This episode is powered by Safety FM. And this week I had the privilege of speaking to James Skipper Kendrick. And it was a great, great conversation. Uh, he's been on my LinkedIn for a while and he's one of the OGs in safety and health as well as uh, being a safety consultant. So in this episode, we kind of talk about his path to being a safety consultant. And we really were uh, just started right from jump, basically. <laughs> it was, was kind of awesome just getting a good uh, idea of how he got started and then also some of the things that he went through uh, in his career, especially early in his career, and uh, just getting a good understanding of safety concepts through the eyes of management and lead systems and and just everything that you would think of as being a high-level manager and using that into the safety world. So we started talking about culture and uh, how he worked himself out of a job uh, because he did so well in this one organization and just got them where they reduced their numbers dramatically, just drastically. I know we don't do safety for dumb numbers and the outcome, but uh, this was just really a, a dramatic way of of showing that he was doing he was on the right path and they sustained it for five years at least after he left and uh so we talk a little bit about that and just a few things i broke this into two parts because it was a, a long episode and i really want to make sure you guys get a chance to focus in on some of the messages but think of this as concepts that you would need for your safety consulting business when you're starting to talk to and communicate with executives and uh and that's that's the good way of, of thinking about this interview so we're gonna get a hold of skipper right after the word from this sponsor do you want to be a safety consultant listen to dr j allen of safety fm give his experience after taking the safety consultant blueprint course i have actually done research on different consultants and looked at different consulting courses and so on. There is a pretty fancy, very expensive consulting course that is out there. I have actually purchased the consulting course, was interested in it. It has good information. Don't get me wrong. But you have a consulting course that really drives people onto focusing on safety and how to become a safety consultant. I will tell you on your particular course, there was better information in that particular regards than the other consulting course that was more of a generalist form. But I figured I felt like I got more information out of yours on you giving people direct path on what to do step by step. But I really think that you have a genuine good product there that can really assist people if they're interested in becoming a safety consultant. Register for the Safety Consultant Blueprint at www.safetyconsultantblueprint.com. Enter code podcast for a special discount. Thank you so much for spending some time and let me interview you. Um, I've been friends with you on LinkedIn for a long time and you've, you know, yeah, I've seen activity and everything and I was like, man, I, if I could get you on the show, that'd just be awesome because you are one of the people that's done safety consulting probably. I started in... 08, uh, 2008, and I, I think you're you're like right around the same time. But you, I don't know. Will you tell me? 
Well, uh, and the story goes, once upon a time, <laughs> yeah, yeah. way way back in, Sheldon, I go back a long time in safety. Um, matter of fact, uh, it started back in high school as a junior, and I was approached by a guidance counselor and asked, hey, do you want to go to summer camp? Well, back then, summer camp was a good thing to do because that meant you didn't have to go to work. You got a week without work around the house and doing that kind of stuff. So I jumped all over it. I didn't ask any questions. Well, we got in the bus and rolled into beautiful downtown Bunky, Louisiana, and got off the bus and looked at a banner that says Louisiana Youth Safety Council. So I spent a week uh, with a whole bunch of other folks uh, talking about this thing I didn't know anything about, safety. Uh, but a defining moment in that was when an old boy by the name of Bill Seals, big old tall state trooper, came in and the issue was seat belts. Now, I, I can't say you, but I'm old enough to remember when they were mandatory making us wear seat belts and all of the stuff that surrounded that. And we don't want to, it'll capture us, we'll drown, we can't escape, all this other good stuff. Yeah. Was that the Carter so, administration? Uh, it's, this is in the 60s. Okay. So it goes Pretty back, cool. you know. So, <laughs> uh, so Bill rolls in, the state trooper rolls in with his big old Pontiac Bonneville, you know, 27 foot long. You can sit five people across the back. And he had a contest for us. We strapped in, locked the door, and then he had a stopwatch. And when he said go, he timed us from the time he said go to the time part of our body hit the dirt and hit outside the car. And the cabin with the lowest elapsed time uh, from that uh, got ice cream for the entire cabin. So motivation. Oh, yeah. So uh, we didn't win, but it was very unique in two of the roles that uh, wound up playing a major part in my life. Number one in matters of safety, because we went back and um, formed a safety club at high school. And I was vice president junior, senior year, but also in another chapter of my life that's become integral, and that is in training. So went to LSU with a uh, minor in uh, safety, the only Go one. Tigers. But the only one in my class is Go Tigers is right. It's a good time to be a Tiger. I know uh, you guys won. I mean, like, you I was, got it. I you saw that. It. I was like, oh, yes, LSU. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, only one in my class um, to be in that option um, and graduated before OSHA, so there were no jobs. So, taught school, did a whole bunch of other things. But, bottom line is, I got my first real job as a safety guy at a shipyard and there was an average, I just wanted safety jobs, so I didn't ask a whole hell of a lot of questions. So um, I got the job and when I walked in, I found out that there'd been an average of one recordable case per employee per year over the past three to five years. So I was in fertile ground. You know, you, know, you hear the thing, low-hanging fruit. Hell, the, the wow. fruit wasn't hanging. You were stepping on it. So 
uh, with the help of a couple good friends and then ASSE, we were able to do some things where we we reduced injuries and illnesses by about 95 percent. We were self-insured and were able to return workers' compensation costs, 80 to 85 percent of the workers' compensation costs back to the company. And then a defining moment happened. Um, the president of the company walked into the office one day and says, hey, you did a good job. Thank you very much, but we don't need you anymore. And that- Wow, led so to, you're so good that you, you worked yourself out of a job. And, and that should be, if we really look at it, that yeah. should be my view of what each of us as a safety professional should be in this business for, to work yeah. ourselves out of a job. Do you so, know if they actually uh, kept the, the, I know we don't do safety for the numbers, but after you left, do you actually know if the numbers stayed the same or comparable after you left? Uh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, because about four years after that, I met a gentleman who, in my uh, term with the company, was the manager of our new construction business. Mm -hmm. He went on to become the president. I ran into him and met him at Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport one day. Yeah. And after a few niceties and how are you doing? He said, you know, we're really taking this stuff to heart. And he said, but the hard thing is, we've got to do it now because you're no longer there. But here's the numbers and the numbers were pretty much like we left them or just a little bit better. And that is wow. one of the great feelings that you have that you set in place something that is carried on when when you do leave. Yeah, that's amazing because what that speaks of is it speaks of uh, management actually being true management that felt that we need to do this as well as the employees. It speaks to a system. So you created a system that was easily repeatable uh, for the work for maybe not even easily, but at least it gave them a path to follow. And then it also speaks to uh, all the different things that you must have taught them along the way and even modeled, I would say. And for that to actually be instituted year and four years later, just, that means the system was strong and, and that's a culture. Not too many people have cultures like that. Well, that you hit the nail on a couple of heads there. It, it was finally they understood the meaning of safety is not my job as the safety director of that organization. It's your job, just like productivity cost, get squat, get, excuse me, productivity cost, schedule, customer satisfaction, and all those others. And once they bought into that, uh, they understood what it was all about. But yet, working myself out of a job, getting that pink slip was the start. Long story rounding around to your question, yeah, yeah. my consultancy is, was the start of, I had plan A. My plan A was my only plan, and that was to work my way up in the corporate ladder and to become corporate manager and all this other good stuff. However, um, that ended that day and from then I went back and took a look and with the idea of plan A and plan B with the, the an idea that no one entity was going to have that much control again over where I go with how I go and it, it happened very very 
I, you know, some things are good, some things are luck, and a combination thereof. Yeah. Uh, about a year, year and a half before that happened, I got a call from the American Society of Safety Engineering back then uh, to come do a seminar on safety management. And once that happened, uh, we developed a relationship and basically that seminar led to the development of what now is ASSP's uh, Certificate in Safety Management. So with that, planted the seed that I'm going to do this and hopefully over a period of time when I get to that thing called retirement. I've got plan B or I've got something to fall back on in case I happen to get another one of these things called pink slips, uh, which has happened. Uh, But that set it up for there and um, then got my dream job over a period of time in corporate um, as a corporate executive, as a global director of environmental health and safety training for a little company called Textron, which is uh, basically one of the U.S.'s first the true conglomerates, yeah. uh, 48,000 folks, 180 plants all over the world. And I pinch wow. myself every morning is that I got my <laughs> dream job, safety and training. And then uh, 2009, we had a change in management. We had a change in CEO and safety is safety training is not a corporate function. That's a business unit function, but you're so well liked. People know you one of the business units is going to pick you up. So don't worry. Well, the day after Christmas, uh, 2009, I had no other offers. So, uh, wow. again, yeah. so uh, a little bit, a little bit earlier than been anticipated, but uh, that was the, that was the defining moment to where uh, now 100% in the consulting business in Kendrick Global Enterprises had, had been in effect for a long time, but yeah. it was formalized and now you're, you're on your own, you're doing your thing, and hopefully the road that you paved uh, previously will prove to bear some fruit. And I'm happy to say over the past 10 years, uh, I've been truly blessed. Yeah, awesome. Um, Was all of this in the, uh, well, I say the Gulf Coast area, but is it truly Baton Rouge, Houston, uh, that, that region with oil and gas? No, well, I started out in the Baton Rouge area, and the first job was in a shipyard. Okay. And then I went and worked for the Louisiana Home Builders Association, did a little bit of expert witnessing, and then wound up as the director of safety and training for the associated builders and contractors. Um, before I moved to um, a current location here in Hearst, Texas, working for Bell Helicopter, which is now just Bell, Bell Flight, um, as a senior safety, um, man, senior safety engineer. Uh, so the idea is I had been in, in and around oil and gas, the petrochemical industry, all of that, the shipyard industry. But um, matter of fact, when I announced that I was moving, one of the local plants called and says, hey, can you come talk? 
and they actually offered me a job way above any of the things we had discussed in wildest imagination and my wife and I held what we call our Burger King Summit uh, to, <laughs> are we really moving to Texas or are we going to stay here and she made a great analogy she says if we stay here 20 years from now where are we going to be <clears throat> we are going to be here and we're going to get closer and closer to the neck of that funnel and things are going to start spinning faster and faster so we made the decision <clears throat> and moved to here to texas uh, some 32 years ago and from years that ago. yeah and from that um provided a, an opportunity for not only growth but for opportunities to see other parts of the world because as the global director of training we had you know we had facilities in china brazil with uh, europe um, and with that we set up training programs all over and i had a wonderful opportunity to travel and meet a lot of the folks in their facilities and help them with their programs and their processes Excellent, excellent. So I always say in order to succeed in life, you got to marry smart. <laughs> I, hey, uh, this past Sunday, uh, I, I tell the joke, Sheldon, that I've been happily married for five years. Been five out of 45 ain't all that bad. <laughs> so, but yes, yeah, Sunday, Sunday made our 45th wedding anniversary. Oh, congrats, 45th. All right. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, so, that's, that's wonderful. My wife and I were uh, right at that 23 mark. So, you know, we're going to keep our fingers crossed and we get up you, to that 45. You got it. And, and, and that's if I don't do something stupid. <laughs> it's always me. Don't, right? get me. don't get me started there because I got a library of stupidity over 45 years. Yeah. Oh man, that could be a book. That, you know, might have might have to do something like that for us who are you know behind you trying yeah. to get that extra twenty something years. Yeah. <laughs> I had a question because a lot of things just came up as you're saying, but uh, I, I just got a curiosity first. I have to uh, quench. Uh, you may already know some people in a nice circle of influence because I actually work a lot with Alliance Safety Council, and uh, and I've been there for a long time. Well, since 2012, I believe I've been working with Alliance in Baton Rouge, and I'm in Baton Rouge in that area quite a bit. So I kind of feel like it's a second home. That's where I learned what lanyard means. Yeah, <laughs> that's where I knew that H E R B E R T isn't pronounced Hubert. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I was teaching school, it was amazing you mentioned that. Uh, when I was teaching school in my homeroom class that I monitored, I had a young man. And his name was Herbert Hebert Hebert. Oh my! H e r b e r t h e r b e r t h e r b e r t. And the, the poor kid got uh, unceasingly teased because oh, of I can him. imagine. So wow, that uh, is a you know it's still home. Uh, fantastic people, Love fantastic them. people, fantastic food. Nice. Uh, and I, I appreciate the chances to go back every every time I get, and especially I this time of year. 
burgers for some good crawfish. Crawfish? Oh, yeah. Uh, you're just out of crawfish season, aren't you? Like, just getting out of it? Yep. As a matter of fact, uh, one of our little logos that I have and pass around, uh, we developed way back in the shipyard, uh, is don't crawfish on safety. <laughs> and a lot of people don't understand that. So I've had a little video of how crawfish travels. And especially when they get in trouble, they start backing up. Yeah, and yeah. the idea is don't back up on safety. Any good Cajun gets that. We got to yeah. explain that to some of them folks from up north, you know, Shreveport <laughs> yeah. up north and Yankee Man. <laughs> Shreveport is Yankees. It's so great. <laughs> yeah, that's actually, uh, I, I pretty much think of Shreveport as, as pretty much uh, East Texas. <laughs> yeah, you got that. Got that right. I got to be careful, though. But make sure TSA doesn't revoke my privileges to cross the border. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, uh, do you know Ryder Cobb? Who's that? Uh, Ryder Cobb. No, I don't. Chuck. Okay, he's in the Louisiana area, and Ken Daigle is also in that area. And uh, Ken was on um, uh, Exxon right around the same time that you, I believe, was in Texcon. Uh, yeah. So I, I wasn't sure if maybe you you would have crossed paths with with Ken in any way, but a gentleman by the name of Johnny Bloodworth was a uh, uh, key safety guy at Exxon while I was there. Okay, uh, a lot of folks that uh, you know, a lot of folks have moved on from there. There's still a couple of good guys hanging around, like uh, Mike Wiegand and Steve Pereira. Um, Lance Rue. Uh, yeah, yeah. A couple of those guys are still hanging out. but Yeah, uh, the ASSP people. Yeah, the older guard, uh, you know, is still hanging on. Excellent, excellent. So, um, I mean, you just gave us so many uh, things to, to go for, and uh, especially the consulting side. My, my audience are going to be Satan consultants, and I actually started doing an outreach to safety consultants because I was always in the management side, but I was in the management side for a public utility in Florida with no OSHA. So I did. I had the hat of being the plant manager for this wastewater treatment plant, and then also as a safety and compliance officer at the same time. So I had to... I had to do a role that I, I don't personally believe in is management also doing safety. I believe safety should uh, only report to the CEO and not report to, well, if there's anything, maybe risk, but not HR. I don't believe that safety goes under HR. If anything, if safety can't be under the CEO, then all right, risk management is a good, is a better fit than HR. But for me, I was the operations director and safety and those things usually if you don't have someone with the right fortitude operations takes over and safety takes a back seat and all of a sudden things go gray especially when you don't have an OSHA to to be you know monitoring that as a as a state I, don't know, I was a um, special district of the state of Florida was where my title was so it, I, I don't really believe on that so before I even go further what how does that uh, scenario strike you as being uh, places you should be as far as safety versus what in an organization? Well, I, I agree with you that safety should report to the highest level and to have an equal voice at the table um, when you're looking at that. Um, however, a very, very 
good CEO and mentor of mine says, you want a voice at the table, you want a seat at the table, then you've got to get yours the same way I got mine. You've got to earn it. And with that, that earning we have learned uh, is not so much through the functional piece of our job. And by functional, I mean the OSHA, the regulations, the 1926, 1910s, 1928s, 13 through 17, that kind of stuff. And OSHA says this, OSHA says that. Yeah. But it comes through the ability to put on a strategic mindset and talk rather than safety and talk in through the business. And you made a good point about it operations and a lot of cases operations quote unquote wins when it's there but i'll tell you that one of the best jobs i ever had and one of the most effective was when safety was taken over by operations and we were part of the operations group because when you take a look at it where are injuries and illnesses occurring in operations yeah. that's where the people that's where the money's made that's where people do the work so the key and one of my greatest learnings was to in that arena to stop talking safety and start talking business and when you take a look that seems like 180 degrees apart but it's really not just to give you an example, we were talking and going into this thing called ergonomics in the early day. And that ergonomics to management was looked at as spending a whole bunch of money realigning the shop floor, doing this, interrupting my production process until yeah. we, we kind of backed into it luck a little bit. But every time we were able to touch something from an ergonomic perspective, productivity improved sometimes greatly sometimes just a little bit so that our argument around the table was not one of matching the man to the work but is how do we increase productivity and in doing so not harm the people and when we put the productivity and led with that and put into places and put into effect things that would take away the postures, the forces, and that kind of stuff. We actually backed into it. So rather than a health and safety issue, ergonomics became a productivity issue and was much better received in those. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's fair. It, it's fair for management as we go through there. Um, one of my favorite sayings, and I get children, I get a lot of argument on this. Um, one of the things that I do not like is this thing about safety first. Okay, um, I'm not a fan. No, no. Because what is first? If we if we boil it now, what is first? And this is profit, not for profit, public, private. Bottom line, money's going to make the world go round, and it's productivity and profit, whichever venue you play in. So why do we sit there and tell people something that is most probably not true? Yeah. However, it not last either. And what we found out is that if we can raise it to a bar to where it, the talk is talked about, it's walked 
the talk and where it is treated from a management perspective as an equal partner to productivity, cost, quality, schedule. The money's going to come because it just stands to reason. If I remove the hazards, if I can remove the risk of people getting hurt, what can I pay more attention to? I can pay more attention to the business, the work I've got to do, and I can become more productive. And I, and I go home in the same way I walked into work each day. Yep. And then also in that same vein, uh, I, I remember, you know, when I was getting into the workforce, it was right around the time and I'm a little younger, you know, so my workforce getting into was, was uh, pretty much in the uh, 80s and then uh, 90s. And then when I really started developing into my career was late 90s, early 2000s when I was really, you know, getting into it. And I started safety in 94. So uh, right around the, the late 80s, early 90s, the phrase was corporate phrase slogans everything was sustainability they all wanted sustainability in organizations and uh me as an organization guy i'm thinking sure you could be sustainable if you're going to start thinking of making sure your product is coming from a place the raw product is coming from a place that is reasonable and they're sustainable in that location so they're not destroying the environment that's part of sustainability but another part is how are you going to spend the money how are you going to protect your profits how are you going to work with your employees to make sure that they now feel good about coming to work and all that is is interwoven let's say it and it, you can't have sustainability without thinking about worker health you can't have sustainability without workers health and production because you know if you don't produce what you can do if you don't have quality control people are going to drop you so that's sustainability yeah and it, you take it sustainability is far beyond just the environmental context which many folks look at it now but and that is one of the toughest things to do uh, as you get there and as we approach you know we've got this vision of zero which i think is a good vision but as we approach that zero that gets tougher and tougher and tougher to sustain you know once we reduced it 95 percent the work that went into that last five percent was a heck of a lot harder than it was for that 95% reduction and the ability to maintain and continually improve on that. Yeah. And that's our challenge. But uh, sustainability in the safety and health world is equal and co-partner to the, the way we use the S word in all of the rest of corporate life. Yeah, and uh, for pretty much uh, knowing your your background and your history, as far as uh, as as whatever you put it out in LinkedIn and your website and everything else, uh, you're a, a corporate person and your career has been corporate. Uh, U.S. corporate versus overseas corporate. Uh, were there any like culture changes for you, or anything you had to uh, change your mindset when you started getting into third world nations or even developing? nations of when you got into across the pond <laughs> what, what kind of things did you have to readjust in your own mind well Sheldon not only do you have to adjust but it's not necessarily across the pond because when you take a look at it I've been into many organizations where you go in and view the organization at 10 30 on a Tuesday morning 
and then you go back at 2 a.m. on a Saturday morning. Same machine, same material, and you wonder if you're in the same organization. So the the short answer to it is yes. There is no one size fits all, and you have got to adapt to the cultures uh, that are prevalent in the organization, and you've got to make it a pull system rather than a push system. And that is, again, another productivity learning from Six Sigma Lean, Kaizen events, all of this thing that we could apply in safety rather than the corporate push down. And you have to do this. Mm-hmm. Have enough tools that will help them in their safety that they want to go to the shelf and pull them and utilize them in their own tool set to be able to do the things that they need to do in their own organization. And that is one of the things that as we developed our management system, we did not tell them how to do it but we shared with them what needed to be done. And then if we need to be, we developed or got them, had them tools to be able to do this. One, one example was in Germany, we were doing an audit and Tuesday, the second day of the audit, uh, the plant manager brings me into the office and I'm figuring, okay, we've already ticked him off in the audit. We're, you know, something's going to happen. And he said, you know, um, have you ever heard about this thing called behavioral safety? And yes, I have. And, and then he looks at me and kind of moves forward uh, toward his desk. And then he says, I think you Yanks have got it wrong. And okay, um, let's talk. Let's talk. And he said, you were looking for the negative and you're constantly looking for the negative is there a safety process out there that looks for the positive in terms of behavior well the good question i said give me a little bit uh, i went back and took a look and did some research in the hotel room and sheldon at that point in time everything that you took a look at all of your behavioral checklist mm-hmm. began with the un on, on this, on that, on the, all, and he was right, all in the negative. And he said, I don't like that. He said, I like to reward safe behavior. Do you think we can come up with something? Bottom line, over the next six months, we helped him develop a program for safe behavior observation, which in Germany uh, and in the German culture, they call Zubo. And with the idea that each employee was tasked with finding somebody doing something safe, saying thank you, and then recording that and reporting that. Now, you know, the typical things. The typical things. I found Sheldon wearing his safety glasses. He was wearing his vest. Those types of things. But and he, he was a smart manager because he started out with those. That's good. But then he started building, and let's get a little bit better than that. Let's take a look at using sharp objects, lifting, and this kind of stuff. So we went back about 18 months later, and the process was going very, very well. And 
uh, how are things going? He said, well, we still got a problem. Now, this wasn't a large plant. They had about 180, if I remember right, about 180 people there. And he said, but I've got about eight or 10 people that haven't gotten on board and they don't want to do this. And he said, we're going to have a meeting with each one of them. I'm gonna to talk to each one of them individually. And if they do not want to participate, he says, I'm going to start to help find them another job. Now, in the, in the world of work, and especially in the culture of Germany, yeah, uh, and with the work councils, that's a big deal. That is a very big deal. And matter of fact, his Zubo program was run by his works council, basically by his union. And wow. Yeah. And then the beauty part of that is when they found out clusters and pods of goodness within the organization, uh, they would go over and see what was happening and what was causing that to spread that best practice across the company. So again, um, the idea of cultural the one size fits all in the old world and even in today's world is not going to uh, is not going to get you success. Yeah. A good a good basic background would then provide them with the tools to be able to do what needs to be done in their way. Now that is, uh, you know, that is tough for many of the compliance-driven safety professionals because we work on a premise that handrails are 42 inches high, plus or minus, with a mid-rail capable of withstanding. It's well, that's, the, that's the functional piece. Yeah. The strategic mindset, why do we need handrails? Why can't we, and my good friend Georgie Popoff, uh, prevention through design, what can yeah. we do to design, to remove the hazards, remove the risk, and in the ANSI standard of prevention through design, add to that level of the hierarchy of controls by rejecting the risk. Yep. Don't eliminate it, reject it before you ever get to it. Have you been considering wanting to take the Safety Consultant Blueprint course online? Well, let me throw a little monkey wrench into your thoughts. I am going to do a live three-day event on Zoom. It's going to be a workshop that is me walking you through this course step by step by step. Each day, July 28th, July 29th, and July 30th from 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time to 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're going to have an intimate group of a maximum 15 participants. So register today. SheldonPrimus.com backslash live for the Safety Consultant Blueprint. So go to SheldonPrimus.com backslash live and register today. That was a great conversation that we had with Skipper. Uh, he just taught me so much during that conversation. And it was really great just to uh, hear the high-level management and everything that went in, into working yourself out of a job because you've done safety so well. And, you know, talked about the safety culture thing too. Everyone likes to say safety culture, uh, but delivering safety culture for clients is very, very important. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're going to work yourself out of the job as a safety consultant, but it can also help you get other 
uh, work by one person making sure that they tell other people how well you've done as a consultant. So this week, as far as the tip of the week, well, even before that, I want to thank everybody for listening to the show. Uh, if you hadn't had a chance yet, please go ahead and subscribe to this show. Uh, just let me know how you think I'm doing. So go ahead, subscribe, comment any way you can. You can always comment as Sheldon at safetyconsultant.us. And I just want to thank everybody for being a part of this Safety Consultant podcast. We're in the 70s right now as far as episodes, making our way around into the 100 episode. I have to really think about what I want to do with that one. Uh, if you haven't downloaded the Safety FM app, then go ahead and do that. Safety FM is where you could hear me every day uh, in the morning sometime. I'm not too sure when my show is. I, it, it's subject to move because we're always getting new talent on Safety FM. Uh, so uh, download the app, Safety FM, and you're going to see it in your app store. And then you can listen to me and all the other Safety FM podcast hosts. Oh yeah, before the tip of the week, I also want to let you know I'm running the last week of a contest. And this contest is for you to win the Safety Consultant Blueprint course. So if you're interested in getting the Safety Consultant Blueprint course and you'd like to win it, go to sheldonprimus.com backslash contest. sheldonprimus.com backslash contest. And then you could have a chance to win the Safety Consultant Blueprint course. And I'm also doing a Safety Consultant Blueprint Live. And this live is a workshop. So for those of you who either want to get the course or have the course and wanted to go through it, I work with you for three days in July, the 28th, 29th, and 30th. And we're going to do this live on Zoom. And you're going to have an opportunity to reach out to me at that time with your questions. Uh, we're going to go over scenarios. We're going to just run through that blueprint course. Make sure you have a good understanding of how to get your business started and jump started in any way. So you're going to go to sheldonprimus.com backslash live and uh, sign up for that course. There's a discount for you that already own the course so that you could do the live event uh, with the rest of us. All right, here's the tip of the week. Very short, but I just wanted to say... Uh, for the tip of this week, I really believe there are systems that you could put in place for your clients. Uh, these systems is going to take you to really understand what the client needs. So you're going to have to listen to everybody involved in their organization. Top down, bottom up, uh, all across the sides, every stakeholder they all have a voice in this and it takes some critical thinking for you to decipher what they need and do a tailored plan to them. It's no cookie cutter plan. And uh, in next week's episode, we're really going to uh, dive into that with uh, Skipper. But uh, truly, it, you can't have a cookie cutter plan one size fits all. So it's up to you as the consultant to really, really listen diagnose the situation that you're hearing and then create a sustainable plan that will get you, let's say not laid off, but it'll get you more clients by referral. And remember, I've uh, always said that when you're dealing with the client, you want to 4X that relationship, meaning you work with them one time, that's one. 
time one ex relationship you may have they may have you back next year for a refresher or or a checkup so that's two x on the relationship and they may refer you to two other companies uh that's a four x relationship one client uh so that's the way that i really think about it is if you can you want to get a four x relationship with this client four times and then you don't have to worry so much about trying to go out there and promote, 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 because you're going to start building your client base from within, from word of mouth, and that's a stronger client base. All right, so hang in there this week. Go get them. This episode has been powered by Safety FM.